Easter and out the other side. But we're also going to keep talking about hospitality. If you've been around, someone's in a hurry to get out of here. (laughs) That was my daughter, in case you don't know. Um, We're going to keep talking about hospitality at the same time as we dive into John, because uh, we have, I think, really learned, I've learned a lot from our study of hospitality uh, over the last five weeks, and now we get to see how Jesus does it. So I think this new series lends itself to further reflection on how we as a congregation, how God's calling us to engage in hospitality, to welcome people uh, as we discern that, how we can be a church that is reaching out more and more um, and less waiting for people to come to us, but meeting people where they're at. Uh, We also started our community Bible study series this past Wednesday night. So we're going to be reading about Jesus together, reading the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights and asking questions. We had over 100 people in this room on Wednesday. And if you've never taken part in our community Bible study, I I would encourage you to come and check it out. It it is pretty amazing. And I was reminded of that on Wednesday night. Uh, We really get into the story. And as you do that on Wednesday night, and then as you hear a sermon about it the next Sunday, it comes alive for you in a new way. And I really believe the Holy Spirit uses that, not just to to teach us kind of head knowledge, but also to impress on our hearts who God is and how much he loves us and how he's calling us to follow him. In his gospel, and the word gospel is... An old English word that, that means God spell, which means God's story or God's news, good news. In his gospel, John tells us about seven signs that Jesus gave us to help us understand him better and also to understand who we are in him. The wedding at Cana in John chapter 2 is where the first sign happens. So we're going to look at that this morning and we pick up the story after Jesus calls his first five disciples. Nathaniel, who we hear elsewhere is an upright man, sneers at the place where Jesus comes from. Nazareth, Nazareth, he asks, can anything good come from there? But soon thereafter, Nathaniel changes his mind. Right at the end of the chapter, Jesus tells him, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's what leads us into this story that we're going to reflect on this morning and that those of you who are here on Wednesday night, we've already spent some time with. This promise is for us too. Jesus says that he will open up heaven for us, that he is where heaven and earth meets. Nothing less than that. So that's how we start off John. I hope that gets you excited about what's to come. Let's pray before we read from John chapter 2. Dear God, we thank you that your words are good words. We hear a lot of bad words in our world, words that criticize, words that tear people down, words of anger, words of impatience, words that do not build us up, that do not encourage. But your word is always good. It is always true. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and Would you plant that goodness all over again in our hearts and our minds so that we can grow and flourish the way you want us to? Would you show us your path for 
Would you show us your path, the path you have for us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read from the second chapter of the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus, according to John, uh, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Wow, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. Wow. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. A few years ago, excuse me, a few years ago, I did a funeral for a man I'd never met. This happens sometimes, but I knew the family, and so I had heard stories about this man, and as I drove into Toronto, I felt like I knew what to expect, like I was ready. Now, the memorial service wasn't in a church, it wasn't in a funeral home, it was in a legion hall. I'd never done that before. Now I'll know for next time what to expect, maybe. When I got there, people were sitting at tables, things had already gotten started, and they were drinking. No one had told me it was going to be an open bar funeral. (laughs) I had never done one of those before. Strangely enough, we never covered that at Knox College. (laughs) Who knows how long they'd been drinking for, but they were already pretty noisy when I got there. That didn't change at all, I can tell you, when I started to speak. Most of the crowd didn't even look over at me. Some people politely turned their chairs. I knew before I even started that I needed to shorten my sermon. I'd cut a page already, but as I was preaching it, I cut two more pages out of my sermon. (laughs) When I was done, it felt distinctly like no one at all had listened to me. But then, on the way out, an old man stopped me and said, Quietly, he said to me, thank you for reminding me about our true hope. You know, I think I was more moved by that because no one else seemed to be listening than I would have been at any other funeral. Someone had been listening. 
in spite of the appearance of things. I imagine Jesus walked into something similar in Cana, but he took a very different approach. Now, the village of Cana was 10 kilometers north of Nazareth in the heart of the Galilee region. It was the first stop as Jesus began his travels with his new disciples. It's no accident that he chose to start there. Cana was about as far as you could get from Jerusalem at the time without leaving Israel. And I think we might have a map of Cana. So you can get a sense of the geography involved. So you can see Jerusalem is kind of in the middle of the map there. And Jesus ends up in Cana to the far north after calling his first disciples. Now, Galilee was distant not just geographically from Jerusalem. It was distant in other ways as well. It was where uprisings against the Roman Empire often began. It was a rough area. It was a bad neighborhood. It was famous for its brigands and thieves. Good Jews like Nathaniel, we saw that earlier, looked down on Galilee. It was also a long ways from the temple in Jerusalem and the respectable religious life that the temple represented. This wedding in Cana was not a polite society affair. It was a Galilean feast. It was an all-out party. The master of the banquet implies that the guests had already had too much to drink, and apparently they were going to need another 130 to 160 gallons of wine, or something like close to a 1,000 bottles to see them through to the end of the wedding, and these weddings lasted for days. On Wednesday night, people seemed very enthusiastic about calculating how many bottles of wine it was actually adding up to. Now, in spite of this seeming like an unlikely place for Jesus to show up and to do what he was going to do, this is where Jesus chose to reveal his glory, where he begins to show who he really is, his essence, his true nature, the substance of who he is. You can think of that kind of religious word glory as being substance of who you are, the truth about you. As verse 11 puts it, this was the glory of Jesus being revealed for the first time. And this is where things start to change. This is the beginning of the transformation that God ushers into the world through Jesus. So why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus turn water into wine here? In the other Gospels, the first recorded miracles of Jesus are healing people. And that might make more sense to us, healing the sick as opposed to creating a lot more wine for people who have already had enough wine, we might think. Now, we're, we're a pretty diverse congregation, and I don't know your family background, but if my grandpa had wanted to party like a Presbyterian, he would have reached for the Diet 7-Up. Whether you come from a family which frowned on alcohol or one that was quite open to it, the Bible speaks in mostly positive terms about alcohol. Wine was, was important in ancient Israel. It signified God's blessing and prosperity. We read in Psalm 104 that God made wine to gladden human hearts. On the other hand, drunkenness is portrayed negatively in Scripture. It's described in terms of people staggering around, vomiting, a loss of mental control. 
In the Gospels, God's coming into the world is described as being like a wedding feast, a great celebration. And there was always wine at weddings in that culture. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul compares the relationship between God and his people to a marriage in which the church is the bride of Christ. So this is a way we understand who we are in relationship to God, who we are together as well. Now, those are some sort of big ideas about the symbolism of wine. But John also, I think, wants us to pay attention to the details here, to the little things. First of all, Jesus joins in this party. He, he's part of the neighborhood. He fits right in. He's invited to this wedding, and he's happy to participate as a guest. We heard about that last week, about how we can learn through the example of Jesus, through his presence with us, to be better guests rather than always thinking of ourselves as hosts. Jesus doesn't have a church committee meeting he has to go to that keeps him from attending this wedding. He's not at some mountaintop retreat. He's ready to join in with his friends, his family, his neighbors. The next thing we see is that the mother of Jesus asks for his help. She's pushing for something here. She just states a fact. She says there is no more wine. But obviously, she's suggesting that he should intervene in a certain way. And I think she has something big in mind. Mothers often do for their children, right? She wants him to make a splash. This is going to be Jesus, everyone, the Jesus she knows, the Jesus everyone needs to pay attention to. But Jesus pushes back. Jesus says, no, it's not the right time. He says specifically, my hour has not yet come. And and we think that when he says my hour, he's referring to the hour at which his glory would be fully revealed at the cross through his death and resurrection. But there's tension there between a mother and a son. It's a human moment. But the boldness of Mary seems to prompt Jesus to act. And then overall, with what Jesus does here. He's simply helping out a family. Because in that culture, it would have been the obligation, the legal responsibility of the father of the bride to, pr- to ensure there was enough wine for the duration of a long wedding. And if they had run out of wine, it would have been a terrible shame would have come over that family. No one would have forgotten about it. And his daughter would not have lived it down. Jesus cares about all of that, He's not too busy, he's not too spiritually minded to get involved and just to help in that tangible way. And as he does this, Jesus sends us a message. He makes an impression that seems like craziness. Galilean men knew how to drink. You start with the best wine, you make a good, a good first impression, and then you move on to the inferior stuff when people aren't as likely to notice that you've done that. And you'll be judged on the first sip of wine and not so much on what comes afterwards. After all, you only have so many bottles of wine, right? And so you want to be careful with your best wine. You want to keep some of it for a future special occasion. But here Jesus delivers a surprise. When there's no longer any point in doing so, he goes ahead and turns water into excessive qualities of the best wine anyone had ever tasted. 
he sets a tone of extravagant, even foolish generosity as he does that. And I think here he's pointing to the kind of total abundance that is a part of his kingdom that he wants to share with all of us. And in the end, that he will embody in his death and resurrection. And what happens? It all goes unnoticed. Only a few servants, his mother and the disciples that he had called, saw what happened. They had caught a glimpse of something new, something incredible, something that they couldn't have imagined. The glory of God had showed up in the most inappropriate place, not in the temple where God's glory was supposed to reside. It showed up in Cana, in Galilee, among people who couldn't be expected to appreciate it. And the wine pretty much went to waste. And yet some still put their faith in Jesus. From water to wine, this is a new beginning that isn't going to make headlines, but it will change everything. And it starts in Cana. It starts small. It starts in the everyday things. A party, some water, and wine. And then it leads somewhere extraordinary. Remember how the story started? I'm not sure if you caught that phrase at the very beginning, on the third day. What happens most famously on the third day? Resurrection. The first sign of the Easter hope we have in Christ is revealed when Jesus shows up at a party and more or less invisibly plays a role that may not make much sense to us. Jesus offers the hope of abundant life. And we need that hope. We need it. I know I need it every single day because we can't make it on our own. I hope part of why you're here today is because you acknowledge that. We need God's love and mercy in our lives because we are not capable of loving like we should love, like we were created to love. Our love runs dry. We find it hard to love each other. We seem to find it even harder to love God, to wrap our heads around what that means, to practice that. But the good news that Jesus wants to give us is that God's love never runs dry. The love of Jesus will sustain us forever. And he brings his extraordinary love into our hearts and into our homes when we take him up on his invitation. If you're worried right now, you're facing some circumstance in your life right now, or if in the future you are ever worried that his goodness, that the good things in your life will run out, that you will lose them, the promise of Jesus here is that he will make it new again, as he has made you new. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone The new is here. And that's not always going to be easy on a day-to-day basis. That is a challenge. But when you turn to God in faith, he will provide. He always provides. When Jesus is with you, you are not empty. You are filled with his grace, with his presence, with his power. Water to wine. So listen to the advice that the mother of Jesus gives to the servants and I think to all of us when she says, do whatever he tells you. 
A few years ago, I was walking through downtown Guelph on a Friday night. I think it was after midnight. And there were crowds of people in the streets. I don't know if you've ever been at the corner of McDonnell and Wyndham at that time of day on a Friday or Saturday night. People were spilling out of the bars. There was a fight breaking out to my left. People were screaming to my right. It's a little chaotic. Off in the distance, I saw this couple, two people walking towards me who didn't quite seem to fit in to the mayhem that was everywhere else. They were older, and as they got closer, I noticed they were handing out water bottles to people. And then, if there was an opportunity, they would stop and engage them in conversation. I went up to them because I was curious what they were doing and why they were doing it. And they said they were simply trying to help people. They were providing water for thirsty people, some of whom had had too much to drink. And they were coming alongside people in need, people who were in trouble in one way or another. And they mentioned their church, and they said that once in a while, they got to talk to people about Jesus. Uh, I loved that at the time, and I still love telling that story. But I can tell you that's not the way to grow a church, right? If you wanted to grow a church, you would not start a water bottle ministry at McDonnell and Wyndham at midnight on Friday or Saturday. Because people aren't going to remember that you gave them a water bottle, let alone where your church is. You're able to help people. You're able to engage them in conversation. But... To me, what those two people were doing smelled like Jesus. It was behind the scenes. It was quiet. They weren't expecting anything back. Not even a thank you, I'm sure, at times. Jesus does not force himself on us. He invites us in. He takes the little things, the ordinary things, and makes them extraordinary. You know, we see that in the sacraments, right? Baptism. It's just, it's so simple. Sometimes people say to me after a baptism, it was so quick. It was so easy. And next week, when we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, it's bread and wine or juice. These are everyday, ordinary things. And that is where Jesus shows up in our lives. There are two things I want to leave you with this morning. First of all, again, hear what the mother of Jesus says. If you are longing for a change in your life, for transformation, do whatever Jesus tells you. How do you figure out what Jesus is telling you to do? By listening to him. Are you paying attention to Jesus? If you want to get him if you want to get to know him better, come and see is what his disciples say when they invite people in. Come and see. Philip said that to Nathaniel. So here's a practical step you could take. I don't know if Allison will be thrilled about this, but come out this Wednesday night. We're looking at the third chapter of John and the story of Nicodemus. What does it mean to be born again? What is what is this change that Jesus makes real in people's lives. 7 p.m., 
we can accommodate you. Can we, Allison? Is that? Yes. She's giving me the thumbs up. Secondly, serve him. Even if you don't believe yet, even if you have your doubts, practice what you see Jesus doing. I talk to people often who may have reservations about the church, but Jesus is always fascinating to people. Take your cue from him. Picture yourself as the servants in this story. The servants who take this wine that they don't really understand to the master of the banquet. They take a risk like that. How can you share in the abundant life that we have in Christ? Will you be a guest like Jesus in this story and get outside of your comfort zone? Go into a place where it may be hard to speak about your faith, but where you can build relationships, build bridges? Or will you be the host? Will you invite someone into your home? We've talked about that a lot over the last month. Will you invite them to church, maybe out on Wednesday night, to read John chapter 3? Two people I really admire who practice serving Jesus in some pretty exciting ways are Anne and Andrew Douglas. And they're here with us today. Some of you were here yesterday for their listening prayer seminar. And it was great. And I'm going to invite them up now. And I'm going to pray for all of us as they come forward before they share a little bit about how they are doing this, how they're seeing water turn to wine, uh, how they're seeing the transformation that Jesus brings. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for being a God who is renewing the whole world. You're changing water into wine all around us. We thank you for promising to make all things new and for calling us to be part of your renewal and creativity. Forgive us for the ways we haven't even noticed what you're, do- what you're doing or the ways we've assumed that it's up to us. We tend to be pretty preoccupied with ourselves, our pleasure, our pain also. Holy Spirit, would you renew our minds? Would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see your presence and to get involved with what you're already doing. Just like the disciples in Cana, would you help us to believe more? And so we pray that prayer, Lord, we believe, help us with our unbelief. And Lord, I pray for Anne and Andrew. I thank you for them. Give them the words to speak to us now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Alex. This is, it's one of the most rich, vibrant, alive communities we've ever been a part of. And uh, that was such a good word. It, it was really, really hard to leave here. We were here t- for 20 years, and uh, Anne was on staff for a little bit of that. And we volunteered all over the place. And um, this as much as we gave into this place, we have received a thousand times back what we ever gave in. And it is, it's almost hard to come back because it's such, um, it, it, it's such a good place. We really, really love this church. And a bunch of you probably don't even know who I am. But, uh, I'm Andrew and this is Ann Douglas and, and we, we're the directors of Circle Square Ranch. So we, we were here for 20 years and we were just working 
guys and girl. <laughs> and um, <laughs> no, she wasn't a working girl. No, um, that's not right. <laughs> Jeez. I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> okay. We were working here, and, and we got called by, by God to leave, and, and we, uh, we ended up at Circle Square Ranch, where we're the directors. But uh, Alex's word is so true. If, if, you, if, you, if you pursue God, you will get more, and he's been really, really good. And if you want a rich community around you, dig into this place. It's like few churches in the world, and, and it'll wrap its arms around you. The people here will bless you. If you, want, if you want to feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself, volunteer here, dig in, and it'll give back. And speaking of the extravagance that Alex was talking about, we felt extravagantly loved and supported since we've been sent from here for five years. The missions committee has supported us as well as a few individuals you know, give sacrificially to, we, we raise our salaries like missionaries, plus we, you know, raise money for buildings and camper scholarships and things like that. We, we felt very financially supported, but also the men's group has come out and worked and built stuff and, and, uh, we've had timely encouraging words or phone calls or emails from, from you and it's meant the world. It's, it's not been an easy five years that we've been there. We had some rebuilding to do because there was, bit of a financial mess, mess that we inherited, but, but things are turning around and, and we could not have done it without you. So we're so, so thankful for your care and support. We can't even express how thankful we are. Um, and we wanted to tell you a little bit about what you've sown into in the last five years. Um, we were doing the numbers and over 500 children and youth have made first-time commitments to Jesus Christ in the last five years. Yeah. So praise God. And over 600 have made recommitments. We call them significant recommitments. So this might be uh, a young person who comes from a Christian home, but maybe they haven't made their faith their own yet. Or maybe these are teenagers who've wandered away from the Lord and, and they recommit their lives when they come to camp. So, so we really count those amongst, you know, victories for Jesus as well, that, that uh, he's been so faithful in bringing his own back to the fold through this ministry as well. Um, we had, uh, of, of the first group, the first time commitments, um, some of you who get our newsletter have heard this story, but this is my favorite story from last summer. There was this young girl who um, was 13 years old, um, and she was adopted. She'd been through a, a few foster homes and then was adopted into a, uh, into a home, but, but sadly the, her adopted home was not what we would hope for a child. She, uh, we would... She was what we would call a drop and run. Her father dropped her off and then took off before he did the whole registration process of, you know, lice and activity selection and all that stuff. And of course, in the, we, we check all the kids for lice when they arrive and we found that she did actually have lice. And she told us that she had, her parents hadn't helped her, she knew she had lice, but she um, hadn't been able to get rid of it because she had to treat herself. And if you've ever had children with lice, you know you actually have to pick the eggs off each individual hair to fully get rid of it. And she couldn't pick her own head. So 
So that actually was very sad for her, but it meant we had some ministry opportunity with her. Some of our, our senior staff, our office manager, Alex, and our, our we call head girl, kind of like um, staff and camper support person, Gabriella, they spent hours with her just picking her head that week and, and being in conversation about her life and the the... the um, the difficulties that she's encountered with her family. And after some of those stories, sadly, we actually had to make a call to Family and Children's Services to to tell them that, you know, there was some neglect and abuse going on. And um, and and so that, it, it felt like it wasn't a good story. And actually, we got to know her because she, she spent a lot of time in our office because she didn't behave that well at camp either. She got herself into trouble a few times, um, but that's how we got to know her. We generally meet the kids who, who are having a tougher week at camp when, by the time they get to us. Um, but then she did actually give her life to Christ towards the end of the week. And I think all the love and care that these girls had shown her as when they were picking her head and listening to her story, she, she professed Christ and said that she wanted to make him her Lord and Savior by the end of the week. But some of these kids, you know, I, I, um, I should have greater faith, but some of them I never know where they end up. Um, but actually two of our staff people went to a, an inner city church in Kingston recently and saw her there at church. And um, she had two churches she was attending because one she could walk to and some she, one she could sometimes get a lift to, not with her parents. She had just chosen to go to church on her own. And she was so excited to see our staff from our camp, but also to tell them that she had become part of this church. So that for me is like, you know, you see these kids step in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and you don't know if they'll have follow-up. And this was a, a, a great confirmation from the Lord that indeed this young girl was going was gonna to be embraced into the family of God, even though her own family was was not that great. Um, as well as introducing some of these at-risk youth to um, Jesus for the first time, our heart is really to be a revival or renewal center for youth in eastern Ontario. We're part of a ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship that specializes in the transformation of youth and young people. So is Pioneer Camp Ontario, which some of the kids from here go there as well, as well as there's a Brantford Circle Square Ranch. And we're a family of nine camps across the country as well as campus ministries. And InterVarsity has done some research into because studies have shown two, two-thirds of young adults are walking away from the church, why is that and what can we do to stop that? And they've actually found that becoming involved in camp, children are, or youth and young people are way more likely to um, attend church and continue to follow Jesus through their young adult years if they attend camp. So our, our desire in co- cooperation with churches is to really help kids be discipled, young and youth and young people be discipled into their young adult years so that they learn the Bible, they encounter God, and they learn to walk with him through their young adulthood in a meaningful way. We have a few pictures, and you can just scroll through them quickly now. Um, our, our family, a bunch of you know our kids. Cam is at Carleton University. He's in second year, and he is, uh, he's studying history, but he wants to be a cop. Emma is at Queen's Nursing, and she's in first year. And Cassie is in grade 10 at a local high school. Uh, we are a major project going on right now that, that Courtright has been super helpful with supporting is Hope Lodge, which is a building that was on site when Ann and I arrived, but wasn't finished. And we have been slowly raising money, and we're at the place now where we can begin construction. So we're, uh, that's Hope Lodge there. So uh, a bunch of you know David White. He used to be the worship pastor here. He now lives right near us, and we've hired him to do much of the work inside. 
Um, we, we love this church and we love our ministry. And we just want to say once again, thank you so much for all you do for us and, and how much you support us. The phone calls, the letters. It's awesome. That's Cassie, our daughter. Well, that, the previous one was our daughter. Um, we love this place and, uh, you should really cherish this church. It is a beautiful, beautiful church and it has meant so much to us and you continue to support us so well. So thank you very much. We do have a booth at the back if you want to ask more information about any of the camps, ministries, volunteer opportunities, supporting any projects, anything like that. We would love to chat with you, so please come visit us at the back. Oh, just a word about that. That's campfire there, that last photo. And that's the place our day is filled with camp activities and our evening services at campfire is where so many kids encounter Jesus either for the first time or have meaningful encounters with God, God's love. So um, that's a really special place for us. Just want to explain that slide. But thank you again for being our family, for being the place we always feel sent from. We return to you inspire us. You love us well. We, we appreciate your extravagance with us. Bless you guys.